just by accident or incident found that website and I said, oh my God, this is my lifeboat. That's the one that changed my life that night. My name is Nils Fostvet. I'm the former electrician on the Bonita that sank on the 13th of December 1981. The first 25 years after Bonita sank, I didn't talk about it. Then I kept it only close to my heart. The Bonita was built in Norway, in a city called Drammen, uh, in 1971, as a very modern and capable fruit carrier. Uh, I went on board the Bonita the first time in 1979 as electrician. Uh, I was newly educated, it was my first ship ever. And I stayed on board the Bonita for <clears throat> nine months. I decided I want one more trip because I liked the Bonita. I liked the crew. We were four Norwegians there, five, at the most five Norwegians. The rest were crew from Ecuador because it was flagged in Ecuador. And uh, on the fatal trip, we had brought fruit, mostly bananas, from South America. And we went down the English Channel. The weather was fairly good in the beginning, but it deteriorated quite rapidly when we had the second half of it. And going as far out as nearly going to enter the Biscaya, it was horrible. I never seen the weather change this quick in my life. So probably it started around eight, nine o'clock in the morning with the bad weather. I was down eating lunch at 12 and went up again and I could hardly walk because the ship was moving so much. I was just entering my cabin for the little rest before starting to work again. It was a Sunday. And uh, I had to put myself in the bed and use the chair in the end with my feet there not to be thrown out. It was really horrific. But then all of a sudden, the ship took a heavy, heavy list to starboard. And it didn't nearly come up again. Eventually, she did. But then a new wave came and took her even more over. And she came up again also there. But when the third wave came, she never came up again. And I realized quickly that something has happened. The cargo has shifted. So I ran out the door, out on deck, and I met a whole lot of people there, screaming and yelling. Of course, they were afraid. I was afraid, of course, too. Uh, they couldn't find their life jackets. So I helped them to find it and put it on. I took one myself, of course. And that's when I went to the bridge to see if there was a signal sent out. And I discovered the radio operator, he wasn't even there. And nothing had been, no switches had been put on. So I got them going. I was there till I heard the signal going out. 
first of all, helicopters came out from Britain and France. They managed to save altogether five people. And they informed us that there was uh, lifeboats coming out both from France and from Guernsey was of course the closest one. We were so freezing cold. I had given away my jacket to the second engineer who was badly hurt. So I was in a t-shirt and a pair of Levi's jeans and, uh, and this uh, old-fashioned uh, life vest, which didn't help at all. So I was so cold and I sat on the rail with my arms surrounding the rail, so we didn't... I mean, there was 50, 60, maybe 70 knots of wind. The 50 meters waves were going over the Bonita and hit us each time it came. So we were so cold that we talked about to finish it off. I mean, letting ourselves slide down the, the side of the boat and finish it. Uh, but it helps to talk. We talked to each other and we agreed, no, we're too strong to do that. We, we can't allow, allow us to, to do that. It will be bad. So we, we kept on holding ourselves there. And all of a sudden we discovered Sir William Arnold. Between 4 and 4.30. They arrived. So that's when we, we started to be more or less sure that we would survive this. And they took charge the minute they came. I mean, these those guys, they knew what they did. But they started immediately. They throw lines to us with big, thick balls on it so they could throw them. And, and they were really good at it because nearly each time they did, it, it landed where it should be. And people were told to hold it, never let it go, and jump when you feel safe enough to jump. And many people did. Some people didn't because they were afraid to jump. It was very high, probably 15 meters to jump. I think it was around 8 o'clock when it was my turn to jump. And then it was only me and the chief engineer and the captain left on the ship. And also, sorry, there was also a very badly injured man who had broken his femur, who couldn't move. So he, we had to leave him, and which was a horrible situation for us, because there was no way we could get to him. But luckily, when the French tug arrived after Sir William Arnold went to Brixham, they managed to get on board and get him off the ship. So it got a happy ending. Just a couple of hours later, Bonita sank. We were 36 persons on board. Uh, two died. There was 29 rescued uh, with uh, the Sir William Island. We were taken on board and they showed us to the fore cabin where we had to go down. Uh, and it was really freezing cold because we had trouble to stand on our feet, I remember when we went there. And uh, we come down there and there was bunks on each side, it was filled up with people, they had blankets. And when we came as the last persons, there was nothing left. The captain, he stayed 
on the bridge with, uh, with Mark Scales. Uh, but me and John Eicher, we went uh, down there and there was nobody who wanted to give away the blankets. They was freezing cold as well, of course. So what we did, we stripped off all our wet clouds. We laid down in the, in the gangway between the bunks. And there was some element of warmness there, probably coming from down below. And, and we, we sensed that this, this is very, very good. And we started to go towards Brixham when everybody was uh, secured. And it was, I mean, the boat is 52 knots long, uh, uh, feet long. It's not the big boat when you used to a big cargo ship on 8,000 tons. Uh, it jumped like, yeah, you could just imagine. There was 15 meters of waves. And they tried to get us ashore as quick as possible. They knew that uh, there was this cabin man who had smashed his head on the deck when he jumped there. He lay there and you, we could see that he wouldn't survive because uh, he was really injured. And, uh, and we know that they kept the speed as high as possible. So the people in, in the bunks, they got really seasick. And of course, they got new blankets, so they didn't want to puke on them. They get out on both sides and puked. And we got it all over us. But you know what? It's the best feeling I ever had in my life. It was so warm and it was amazing. We talked about it later, me and the chief engineer, and we both agreed if they hadn't puked on us, we probably wouldn't have survived it. So it, it helped us. And when I came, when we came to Brixen and, and went to the hospital, I had less than 32 degrees Celsius in my body. So I was probably much lower at the moment when I was rescued. It was probably touch and go. Nils was a pretty young man at 27 that night. I hardly survived. My parents told me later that they saw a big change in me because I was pretty wild, enjoying life, uh, having a nice education which I could use and travel the world and all these kind of things, I got much more reflected. Everything was much more important for me, even the small things. I, uh, as I told you, I went back to sea again. I met with some of the people down in Ecuador again who had also survived. And I saw how much worse they had it than me, both mentally and uh, they didn't dare to go to sea again. They didn't have jobs. So we went a few times home to some of these families, tried to help them a little bit with money and uh, be nice to them. And yeah, we kept some sort of, of, of contact over a few years. Of course, it faded away. So now I am retired and uh, I have a very good life. I have two very, very nice sons. I have a, I'm a granddad, life is shining and it actually has been shining most of my life. But I also had quite a few times I've been thinking about how different everything could have been.
And thanks to, of course, Sir William Arnold and that wonderful crew. First of all, I didn't know much about her. I googled her. Quite, a, as I told you, 25 years, I was shut down from that happening. After I read John Eicher's story in, uh, in this magazine, I started to know more about, I got the names of the crew who saved us. I got the name of the vessel of the, of the lifeboat. Uh, and I talked to John Eicher who had been in Guernsey and talked to all these guys. Uh, I got things from him, but I never heard or tried to take contact with anybody there, RNLI or the persons who was on board that night. Uh, but after a few more years, I got more and more curious, and I found out that there was this website on the Facebook about this RNLI, not the RNLI, but the, the, the Sir William Arnold. And I just by accident or incident found that website and I said, oh my God, this is my lifeboat. That's the one that changed my life that night. So I put just a small note, somebody had been writing about it and I said, and they mentioned the Bonita and I say, uh, as a matter of fact, I was on board Bonita that night. And it took 10 minutes and I got uh, a message from a guy named Colin Trowles. And he presented himself as the owner of uh, Sir William Arnold. And he had he's a former policeman, but uh, he, he has been keen on lifeboats all his life, he told us or told me and and he was in the position he could buy it i think it was up in ireland or somewhere where he found it and bought it and completely restored it and we formed i would say some kind of friendship we talk a lot to each other and he said i want you if you have the chance to come over when it's 40 years since the happening with bonita because we're going to have a naming service and, and a big, big event here in London. And he, he asked me to come and I said, I have to think a little bit about it at first, but I quickly said, yes, of course. And uh, we were supposed to go there last year when it was 40 years ago, but because of Corona, we couldn't do it. So it was uh, done this year in the beginning of june so i went over with my wife and uh, with my uh, the chief engineer john Eicher, and we was a part of this uh, this uh, big thing in saint catherine's dock when we came that morning on the saturday it was the 10th of june in saint catherine's dock and i saw it and I said to my wife, Lara, her name is Lara, here it is. That's the, here's the reason that we are together. If without her, I would never have met you. I wouldn't have survived. And I just stood watching it. I couldn't even go on board. I had to 
just sit there and see it go on the side of it. It was moored alongside. And uh, the service began at 12 o'clock. The Duke of Kent came. We, we talked with him and uh, there was many people, I think probably 60, 70, 80 people there. There was a brass orchestra entertaining us. And we went on board. We were part of this uh, ceremony to rename her, Mia Naicha. And we took the trip on board and I went down to where I was laying on the way into Brixen. It was quite changed because the bumps is not there after they restored her. But there was a big picture there on the wall of me. When I was 27, I came back from, from uh, Britain and I, they interviewed me in, in the local newspaper on the 19th of December. And I sent this to Colin. I, I wanted him to see what I looked like at that time. And I translated it from Norwegian to British one. And he had blew that up and framed it. And it was on the wall. I, I got shocked. I have to say. I even been sitting with my two sons. They are 33 and 31 now. And, and talked through this moment. How fortunate I am. And they also, they also bright young guys. They know that if I hadn't survived that night, they wouldn't ever been born. And we've been talking a lot about this. Lil Maya, who is eight years old, haven't got the story yet, of, but she will, I can tell you. And I will tell her the story the way I told my boys about this. So, yeah, that's a magical moment in my life also that uh, everything good coming out of it that I survived that night. I have to I have a wonderful family, I have to admit. I have. Hello, this is Louise Minchin. You've been listening to the RNLI's 200 Voices collection. To hear more remarkable stories, head to rnli.org slash 200 voices or subscribe to RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Two Hundred Voices is an adventurous audio limited production for the RNLI.